Lord, we confess today that without you we can do nothing and that true life, true life is only found in you. And Lord, we confess at times it's hard to, to yield, it's hard to surrender. But Lord, we, we find life by giving it to you. True life, meaningful life, significant life, a life that extends beyond this temporary 70 or 80 years that we get down here. And we thank you for that. Father, as we look into your word today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would take these feeble words and multiply them and use them in ways uh, beyond what we can imagine. We love you, we trust you, we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I think I'd like to take time for you to stand and greet one another. If you don't have a folder yet for the uh, greatest story, if you haven't been here or you're new here, uh, you can pick one up at the back table. Welcome, center. The latest information you didn't receive, you catch them after service. We have a nice gap there. Take your Bibles and turn to 2 Peter chapter 2. Yes, I know we're in Genesis. We're going to look at 2 Peter 2 this morning in just a moment, so you'll see in a minute. You know, I was thinking about this week, um, getting so tired of... Uh, Getting so tired of turning on the news and then thinking, I wish I hadn't turned on the news. And just the, the mess that this world is in. And so it's exciting to see, it's exciting to see to go to God's Word and to see that there is a sovereign God who is in charge of this world, who has a plan for this world, and is going somewhere in spite of man's efforts, it seems to me, to mess it all up. And so we're going to be tracking with that. Last week, we talked about Abraham, and we talked about how that God is starting to build a nation. He started with a seed. The seed was this man named Abraham. And God, as he always does through Scripture, tells us in advance what he's going to do. Do you remember what he said? He, said, I'm, he told him five things. He says, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. You will be, I will make you to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. I will bless all the peoples on the earth through you. If you missed last week's message, I went through and unwrapped how that has been fulfilled literally in history. Um, and you can go back and, and listen to that if you would. Um, again, we, uh, we, we don't waste the first 11 chapters of the Bible, but that's really just setting the stage. And when we get to the Bible again, we don't see God saying, I'm the God of Adam and Enoch and Noah. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we'll hear more about that probably many, many times. Well, well how, how's God doing with this nation? Well, it looks like to me, uh, and if you've been reading in Genesis, and I hope you have been, um, God's not in a hurry. Um, you know, time doesn't mean anything to God. If you're going to have a nation, you've got to have some people and Abe doesn't have any people. I mean, uh, Sarah didn't have any children. She was childless. And uh, God needs people, so God, in his sovereignty, chooses a man with a, a wife who can't have kids. 
I mean, I'm thinking about it. I would have chose that woman. Um, it's interesting. She lived back in the 1700s. We don't know her name. We know her husband's name. What's with that? A Russian woman that had, get this, 69 children. 69 children. She had 12 singles, 16 twins, 3 triplets, and 4 quadruplets. Now, that's what I would have chosen. I would have saved her for Abraham. I mean, if you could have a nation, isn't this the way to get started? I mean, do the math. I mean, you know, if each of them have like 10 kids, and I mean, you're going somewhere. God doesn't do things our way. God doesn't follow the plans that we think would be best. You see, one of the great principles in the Bible is that when God do, does something, he's going to get the credit. He's going to get the honor. People are going to know that he did it. So it took 25 years from the call of Abraham to this miracle baby named Isaac. And any time a woman 100 years old or 90 years old, I think she was 90 when she had her baby, has a baby, you know that's a God thing. God gets the credit. So we're going to fly through Genesis. I'm not covering all this in chapter 14. If you've been reading, you saw the rescue of Lot. Lot seems to get in trouble a lot. Uh, uh, so he, he got rescued by Abraham, and we have the introduction of this, this character, Melchizedek, which we'll see again in the book of Hebrews. And he's a mysterious figure, and I, haven't, I don't know how to explain it to you. God doesn't give us... God gives us sometimes just enough information to get us curious, and he doesn't answer our questions. So I guess I don't need that question answered right now. Chapter 18, we see the mercy of God. You remember Abraham pleading with God and saying, will you spare Sodom and Gomorrah for 50, 40, 30, 20, 10 people? For 10 people, he, has, he would have spared Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, folks have made comments about America, and perhaps there is the remnant of Christianity is the only thing that has saved America. Sometimes I think that is true. Chapter 19 is the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And he spared Lot and his family, except for his wife who looked back, if you remember that story. And our text this morning, I thought I would read to you about this side of God that we're going to see as we go through the Bible, the justice and the holiness and the purity of God. Second Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 4. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless people, for that righteous man living among them day by day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature 
and despise authority. Jude verse 7 says it this way. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who will suffer the punishment of eternal fire. So we're going to see that God is a holy and just God. He is a God full of grace and mercy, and he's also full of justice and righteousness. And we will track that all the way through the Bible. We get to chapter 22, and there's that story that disturbs all of us where Isaac takes his, excuse me, where Abraham takes Isaac up on the mountain and was willing to sacrifice his only son in obedience to God. What do we do with that? You know, you read it in Genesis 22, and I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. And I thank God for the rest of Scripture because he starts unwrapping this for us in Hebrews chapter 11 where he says this, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Listen to this. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so, in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. We need to run this through the grid, run this through the grid of a man who heard the call of God, and God said he's going to make him a mighty nation, and then he waited, waited for 25 years while he's getting older, his wife's getting older, and God has promised that he's going to be a great nation. This man saw this mighty act of God and God giving them a child. And God had promised him that it was through Isaac, not through Ishmael, but through Isaac, that he would build his nation. And he had enough faith to believe him that he believed that if he even sacrificed his own son, that God would raise him back to life. Oh my. You see why God says he's the God of Abraham? I mean, I'm, I don't know how you get there. Those of us who have children, you can put yourself in that place pretty quick and you think, how do you get there? What faith? What faith? He had enough faith that if God could give them a baby when he was 100, I guess that God could raise him back to life. Powerful, powerful. So God's building a nation. Here's Abraham, and now there's Isaac. One and one. He's on his way to really building something. So, so Isaac gets a wife, and there's a wonderful story there where he sends a servant off to get a wife from him, from his own tribe of people, and he comes back with Rebecca, who's just like Sarah. She's drop-dead beautiful and gets him in trouble along the way, if you read through the book of Genesis. But alas, she's beautiful, but she can't bear children. What is this? God keeps giving wives to these guys and they can't have babies. And yet he's going to build a nation. Remember who's going to get the glory? Remember who's going to get the credit? God's going to get the credit. What does it say in Genesis 25, 21? Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. 
The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. So we're on our way. We've got Abraham, now we've got Isaac, and she has babies, and she has two. So we're, you know, they had twins. We're going somewhere, except God said, I'm not going to use Esau. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why. And in fact, when you get over to Romans chapter 9, he appeals to the, Paul appeals to this event as an example to us of, the, of God's sovereignty and that God chooses whom he chooses and delights in whom he delights. And he teaches us about God's sovereignty and the principles of predestination and foreordination. And God says something that's countercultural. He says, the older will serve the younger. And that's not the way it worked in that culture. In that culture, the older was in charge. The older son would have gotten everything, and he would have been the one that was blessed, and he would have led the family. He would have taken the patriarch's place. God says, nope, I'm not going to do it like that, because God does things his own way. Genesis 27 tells how Jacob, with his mother Rebekah's help, deceived his father Isaac, his blind father Isaac, and stole the blessing that belonged to the firstborn. Blessing in that day was a big deal. It carried a lot of weight and significance. I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on this idea about the dangers of favoritism in families. And, and I'll just say, parents, work real hard. Work real hard at not showing favoritism. It really hurts your children. It hurts families. So Esau found out about it, and he was going to take his brother's life. So Jacob ran, ran for his life. And, and he went off to another land, went back to the land of his family and, and uh, Uncle Laban there, and um, he, he gets a wife. Well, actually, he gets two wives, if you remember the story. And uh, because his, he, got, he got tricked, he got tricked because he wanted to marry the younger one and the culture said marry the older one. So anyway, you can read about it in the Bible. It's, uh, it's a wonderful story of how he got tricked into marrying Leah. And then he said, well, just work seven more years and you can have Rachel too. And he loved her so much and she was the one he wanted to marry. So he did. So this, this Laban was a trickster. He was a rascal. You know, he was always, he got, he got 14 years of labor for these two wives. So, Rachel's the favorite wife, and of course, of course, guess what? You think Rachel can have kids? No. Again, God's got this thing going here. I'm just, it, it's just, it's rolling here. She can't have kids either. So Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had two, but God rejected one of them. So we're, and then Abraham died, so we're back to one with Isaac. And then Isaac, let's see, Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had two, but God rejected one of them. So we're now, now to Jacob, so we're back to one. Not going anywhere in a hurry, are we? Not fast, but this is God's plan. And God always refers to himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. These were the covenant people of God. These are, we could call them the patriarchs, um, the founding fathers of the faith. Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. But ah, with Jacob, 
Now, Jacob, things start happening because he prayed about having a baby and God gave him, started giving him kids. God changed Jacob's name to Israel. That's where we get the nation of Israel, the children of Israel. All goes back to this one man, Jacob, whose name got changed to Israel by God. And it tells us in 35, 12 of Genesis that he had 12 sons. 12 sons. Now we're going somewhere. We're going to start having a family. Now we're going to start building a nation. We start making progress. So the chart looks like this. We have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then we have 12 sons. So we've got an opportunity here to start doing some multiplying and growing. But remember, this has been real slow. From the call of Abraham at the age of 75 to the 12 sons of Jacob, over 100 years. Over 100 years to get to 12. God's schedule is not our schedule. The last quarter of the book of Genesis is given over basically to the life of Joseph. It's the focus of this, this man, Joseph. If you remember the story, he was one of the 12 sons of Jacob or Israel. And he was his father's favorite. Here's this favoritism again, okay? I'm just telling you, it creates problems. Uh, Joseph didn't help his own cause. Do you remember? He said, oh, brothers, I had a dream where you all came and bowed down to me. And they're all like, we really love you, brother. We think you're great. You're the hero. We're going to all bow down before you one day. So the, some of them wanted to kill him, but one of them prevailed and said, no, let's just sell him into slavery. So he gets sold into slavery, and you can read all this in Genesis. I'm trusting you to be doing the readings. So he ends up in Egypt. And he gets sold to a man named Potiphar. And, and Potiphar was a wealthy man. And, and he saw that Joseph had lots of skills and gifts and all this. And he made him over all his household. He, put, he, was, he was in charge of everything. Problem is that Joseph was a handsome fella. And Potiphar's wife had designs on him. And you can read about this in Genesis chapter 39. And, and, and so she attempted to seduce him. Now, let's, let's think for a minute. God's been working. We get down to Jacob or Israel. He has this son, Joseph. He is sold into slavery. He's down there as a slave in this land. Can you even imagine? And he's in a situation where, what's he going to do? I mean, this is his master's wife. He's, he's, he's caught between a rock and a hard place. It's a fork in the road for him. Because she has great power over him. Great power over him. And, and do you think it might have been easy for him to rationalize this? Do you think it would have been easy for him to forget God's ways, to feel like I need to do this to protect myself, and surely God will understand? Would it have been easy for him to rationalize and make something that was wrong into something that was right? There's a great verse there in, in chapter 39, verse 9. It says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? We 
she was persistent. And so one day when no one's around, she grabs him and he runs for his life and she's left holding his cloak and he's out there running around without a cloak. And so everybody sees it, everybody knows what's going on, it's going to get back to the husband. And so she, she said, she put the blame on him and he ends up in prison. Ends up in prison. Now, does this look like God's moving this nation forward? You know, the, we got these brothers back there of such great character. They sold their brother into slavery, and now the one that, that seems to have some character ends up in prison. In prison. And, and when you read about the, uh, the servants of Pharaoh who came there, you realize it's, it's, you're, you're kind of at the whim of whomever, it seems like, and if they want to take your life, they take, their, take your life. He, I mean, people die in prison. So, so hear me, sometimes, sometimes when you're following God, you come to a fork in the road, and to do the right thing may not look like it's moving you down the field. It may not look like you're going anywhere in a hurry, and it may even cost you something. Do the right thing anyway. Always do the right thing. Always do the right thing. You may know the story how he, he, uh, he, he came to be known in prison as a man who, who heard from God and could interpret dreams. Pharaoh had a dream. He called his wise men in and they couldn't figure it out. Uh, so one of his servants who remembered that, that Joseph was an interpreter of dreams remembered this and said, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> There's this guy Joseph down here in prison. So he brings him up. And he interpreted the dream that basically there were going to be seven years of prosperity, great crops and all this, and then seven years of intense famine in the land. And, and Pharaoh says, well, if you interpreted this and you figured this out, you're a man of some, some skill and some mobility and, and whatever. I'm going to make you number two in the land. So he goes from prison. I mean, let me, listen, Joseph would have just been glad to be out of jail. I mean, think about it. Uh, if you're in his situation, you're in prison, if you just got out of jail, I mean, just let me go. No, no, no. He goes all the way from being at the bottom to being right at the top. Now, who, who would have ever designed this plan? I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up. God did exceedingly abundantly beyond what Joseph would have ever imagined. Do you think he ever had that dream when he was down there in prison saying, you know, I... I'm probably going to be the Pharaoh, or at least next to the Pharaoh in the kingdom. That's probably going to be the next place I go. I don't think you ever even had a dream of that. How did he end up in prison? He ended up in prison by doing the right thing. God in heaven sees. God in heaven knows. Now, I think, I think, what if he'd taken a different fork in the road with Potiphar's wife? Would he have ended up at the same place? So, Joseph was number two, and they filled their barns during the prosperous years. 
so they could last through the famine. And while the famine's going on, his family back up in Canaan, I should have had a map up there, up where uh, modern-day Israel is, basically, uh, they were starving because it was a widespread famine. And so they're starving to death, and they hear there's food in Egypt, so they send the brothers down to get some food. It's a really cool story, really cool story. So they get there, and uh, they didn't recognize Joseph, but Joseph recognized them. He was probably dressed up like... You know, like Pharaoh had eye makeup on and what, all kind of stuff. Whatever they do, whatever they did, may have one of those funny little, funny little hats on. I don't know, but they didn't recognize him. Long story short, it has been, I think, what is it, eleven years, thirteen years, seventeen years? It had been a while. So Joseph toys with them. And without going into all the details, he has them thrown into prison. It's very interesting when they're thrown into prison. Do you remember what they said to one another? This is insightful. When they got thrown into prison, what's the first thing that came to mind? I'm skipping over that. Scholar, I'm going to skip to the verse there. Can we do that? There you go. Thank you. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. Isn't that amazing? It's been 13 years now. They get thrown into prison. They're thrown into prison. What's the first thing that comes to mind? You remember what we did? We're being punished for what we did to our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen that's why the stress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen. Now we must give him an accounting for his blood. You know, if I could go back to the one before, Skylar, there's, there's, there's no statute of limitations on sin. And, and, and let me just tell you about guilt. This was, this was, um, this was not false guilt. This was real guilt. They should have felt guilty for what they did to their brother. It's not that it's not redeemable and forgiveness isn't available. They should have felt guilty for what they did. And that's amazing to me. And that's a reminder to us because sometimes the devil says to us, well, that happened, you know, that happened a month ago or that happened five years ago. And, and, you know, you can just forget about that. We don't need to do that. We need to go back... And as much as lies within us, we need to make things right with man and with God. As much as we can, make things right with man and with God. Another principle, there's no statute of limitations on sin. But the second big principle I've learned here is that God is really in control. In Genesis 45, 5, Joseph, Joseph, this light bulb comes on for him. He says, God sent me here ahead of you. And in Genesis 50, 20, it says this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, they would have starved to death if they'd have stayed up in Canaan. If they'd have stayed back in the homeland, there was no food. Egypt had the food. So there's a principle here that God uses even bad people with evil motives. 
You may see that in your life. That may be part of your life experience where God takes what people meant for bad or evil to you and he uses it for good. So here's where we are. There's Adam, there's Adam, there's Isaac, there's Jacob, there's 12 sons, and then Joseph gets sent off to Egypt. Now, again, all this is part of, of the covenant with God that he made with Abraham and he reaffirmed it with Isaac. He said, I will give you this land and descendants like the star in the sky. Through your lineage, all nations will be blessed. In Jacob, in, in chapter 28 of Genesis, we read this. This is when he was having a dream, remember? There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will be spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and the south, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. God is a covenant-making God, and he's continuing to make this covenant. So when we get to this whole situation with Joseph being down in Egypt and the brothers coming down and looking for food, and he sends them back and he says, bring the whole family down. God spoke to Jacob, Israel. He said, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. I will make you a great nation there. Now, it was a good thing he was starving because I, I think that would have been really hard to believe that we're going to become a great nation by leaving the land you've already given me. But he also, God also said, I will bring you back in Genesis 46, verse 4. So they had the land. They're getting a few people. The numbers are improving some. How is God going to do it? Well, one more hint before we wrap up today. Genesis 49, 28 says this. All these are the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is what their father said to them when he blessed them giving each the blessing appropriate to him. This is the first time in the Bible that the word tribes is used. This is the first time. And what God is saying is, I'm going to build a nation, and you've got to have people, and part of that people plan I'm going to have is going to be a tribal framework using the 12 tribes of Israel or Jacob. So he's going to make a mighty nation. That's the word of God. So what we see from Genesis 12 through Genesis 50 is um, 100 plus years from the promise given to Abraham to now in Exodus chapter 1 verse 5. It says when they went down to Egypt, there were 70 of them. So counting the wives and the kids and all that, there were 70 of them that went down to Egypt. We're starting to see some progress. Now, Exodus is going to be a pretty exciting story, so be sure you do your reading for not next week, because I'm going to be gone doing a wedding in Mississippi, but for the next week. And let me just say about Bible reading. Um, we give you a long reading and short reading, and I, and I need to apologize for this, because some of the long readings like, read all the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, all, all the... So, so I, if, you're, if you're somebody said, said, I want to read through the whole Bible while you're doing this, you're going to have to read like 10 chapters a day or something and just keep going and get ahead of me so that when I get to those long stretches, you'll be okay. Uh, and I'm not telling you need, you need to read through the whole Bible with this, but I'm, I'm, uh, just if you want to do that, uh, that's probably what it's going to take.
pretty neat to see the story uh, of a God. And, and, and what we're learning here is that God longs to have a relationship with human beings. So that's going to see that's going to be the thread that runs through the whole story. God longs to have a relationship with human beings. And he longs to have a relationship with you and with me. So as always if you have questions about your relationship with God and and how that is going or how that can happen, I would love to chat with you. Again, lots of ground to cover. Get a get a uh, booklet if you haven't gotten one. So let's stand for our closing prayer. Father, we're excited to see how you do what you tell us that you're going to do. Even when you do it in ways that are different than we would ever have thought. Thank you. Thank you for that you're a faithful God. You keep your word. You keep your promises. And you're just as faithful to do that today as you were in the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Help us to follow you with a whole heart in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.